2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpol. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at @wpdavidv. And you can subscribe to Press This on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or download the latest episodes at webmasterradio.fm. In this episode, we're going to be talking about accessibility and how it's not just a compliance strategy, but it's also a growth strategy. And joining us for that conversation is Mr. Jeff White of Kula Partners. Jeff, welcome to Press This.
3: Oh, thanks for having me, David. Glad to be here.
2: Awesome, and we're really excited to have you here on the show. Um, what we're gonna be covering today is really Jeff's thoughts around why accessibility, again, isn't just a compliance strategy, but also offers, offers opportunities for you to grow, or talk about simple approaches you can use to beef up your accessibility practice, um, but to do that through a growth mindset. So to kick things off, Jeff, I'm just curious, what is your WordPress origin story? What was the first, tell I me mean, the story the first time you used WordPress?
3: Sure. So, um, I mean, that goes back a fair a fair ways. And, and it's funny because, you know, my web career, such as it is, started pretty early um, in terms of the web. I mean, I started developing um, my first website probably about 1994, I think. So, um, I remember back in the late 90s, I was contributing to an RFP um, for a web design project for a client that wanted to be able to maintain the, their website themselves and uh, at that point that wasn't a concept that we had ever heard of you know we didn't really think that you could mean that a client could maintain a website themselves that they needed to know html and you know so we, we proposed that uh, you know we could help them and teach them dreamweaver or something to maintain the site and then of course didn't get the project and found out that somebody else had a content management system and uh, you know that was really the first time i'd ever heard of such a thing and then fast forward you know a number of years and and we were using all kinds of different content management platforms at that point, like movable type and had some experience with Ektron, even rolled our own a couple of times, made one called the base station. And, and uh, but when we started the agency that became Kula, we realized we needed to kind of standardize on a, uh, on another platform that made sense and was easy to use for our clients. we were playing around with Drupal and Joomla and, uh, and eventually kind of, standardized on WordPress. Um, it built a couple of personal sites, a uh, mountain biking site uh, that was originally in movable type and then moved it to WordPress and, um, you know, just kind of wanted to standardize on something that was easy for our clients to use and that uh, made a lot of sense. And, and we really love the platform. I mean, we've been using it for more than a decade now, um, super extensible. And, and we work with a lot of enterprise clients and, you know, we regularly put WordPress up against some of these really big players like Adobe and Ektron and some of the other ones. And, and it really can hold its own at this point. It's quite a great platform.
2: Awesome. That's good to hear. So I was wondering if you could also briefly tell me about Kula Partners and also what does Kula mean?
3: <laughs> oh man, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Kula is uh, uh, briefly, we're, we're a marketing agency. We work with B2B manufacturers in North America. Um, the companies that we work with they have really complex buying cycles. Um, they sell to other, uh, often other manufacturers and other businesses, and so we help them create integrated marketing plans and build websites and do account-based marketing and that kind of thing. They, you know, to help them build their brand and grow their pipeline and reach all the members of the uh, of those huge buying committees. Um, and Kula actually comes from. a a tribal trading ring in Papua New Guinea. Um, There's a series of islands, more than 100 different islands, and and these islands are all connected through these elaborate trading ceremonies where the tribes get together and uh, someone from one tribe will actually give a piece of kula. Usually it's a bracelet or necklace made of seashells it doesn't have any intrinsic value in and of itself but the act of kind of giving that to somebody else creates social capital between the tribes and so there's been some um, some anthropological uh, research done about this and we we saw early on in the days of Kula that you know these connections created between the uh, um, the members of these tribes was a lot like the early days of social media you know where you we're sharing, you know, relatively unimportant bits of content, but it was creating social capital and connecting people to one another, and, and that's really where the name comes from.
2: I love it! What a great story! That's a uh, that's a cooler story than those <laughs> brands I have as a backstory.
3: Well, this is why we tell people to, why a brand costs so much, you know, because if you want to create the story that goes with it, that's what you're going to have to do.
2: Oh, I like it. I like it. I, pr- I, I won't promise that's the end of my dad jokes, but I promise I will try to reduce the volume of dad jokes for the remainder of the podcast. Um, <laughs> so getting the topic at hand, though, accessibility, kind of want to understand first off, like why is accessibility important to you? Why does it play such a strong role in your business?
3: Well, I, I think that, you know, this is a thing that not a lot of people understand necessarily, especially in the web development community. But I mean, in the United States alone, 13% of the population has a disability of some kind. And that's a massive number. I mean, you know, some of these present more readily as challenges when it comes to the web. You know, blindness obviously is a, is a key one that uh, that we see regularly, as well as um, deafness and low vision or color blindness and things like that. I mean... that's a significantly greater percentage than when we all gave up on developing and supporting Internet Explorer 6. You know, like this, this is a a huge number of people. And these people are, are in the workforce, and they're influencing buying decisions. And for an awful lot of them, they cannot actually use the web as it stands today. Um, And and as far as why, you know, this is important to me, when my my oldest daughter was uh, nine, she had had uh, dozens and dozens of Um, ear infections and surgeries and other things like that. And and we were actually headed into a, a surgery for her where they were going to remove the hearing bones in her right ear. There'd been so many surgeries, so much plaque buildup inside of her hearing bones that there was a good chance that they were going to have to go in and basically disable her hearing in her right ear. And she already had reduced hearing in the other ear. And so my wife and I started making plans for, you know, how are we going to support her and how, you know, are we going to ensure that she lives a nice full life and all of that, um, you know, with this disability, and it really kind of brought home for me the importance of making things that are available and accessible to everyone. Now, now, thankfully, once the surgeons got in there, they realized that it wasn't quite as bad as they had expected, and they were able to just clean it up, and and she most has most of her hearing now and really at, she's 16 at this point and she just pretends she can't hear us now. Um, but, uh, uh yeah. yes. Teenagers. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's good fun. She's going to start to drive soon. I don't know what I'm going to do about it, but, um, you know, it, but to top it all off, i don't know if you've heard about the volume of americans with disabilities act the ada uh, lawsuits that have been being brought against us corporations but it's been growing by 30 percent year over year there were thousands of lawsuits last year literally thousands of companies being sued by this cottage industry of lawyers who have kind of found that they can target businesses who do not have accessible websites and some of the more notable lawsuits uh, last january about a year ago now um, beyonce was actually sued by a woman who was unable to buy a piece of clothing without the assistance of a sighted friend Um, so she was blind and she was trying to use beyonce's website to buy a sweatshirt or something like that and she was unable to do it so she sued beyonce and her holding company uh, as a result of that and Just last October, Domino's Pizza was denied a petition to argue that accessibility didn't apply to the web and a lower court ruling was upheld that said that no, like you do in fact have to make your site accessible to the blind and anyone else who wants to use it, that it's part of running a business in this day and age. And you wouldn't build an actual restaurant didn't allow people in wheelchairs to enter. So how is the web any different? So in these cases, just haven't targeted large brands like Domino's. They're going after everybody. Um, they're hitting manufacturers. They're hitting retail brands. They're hitting larger brands and entertainers as well.
2: So it sounds like for you, it's probably similar to how a lot of people might find importance in addressing accessibility. Um, one is altruistic. It's it's a good thing to do. People deserve access to websites to facilities, so on and so forth. The second is personal. You knew someone who may have benefited or needed that type of access. Um, and then the third is uh, compliance or risk, meaning if I don't address it, um, I might you know, uh, take on a lawsuit I might lose or have other compliance issues that might cause me financial pain. And so these are kind of the, the governing forces Uh, kind of flowing through teams as they think about accessibility. I think a lot of people do start with that altruistic view of, hey, this is just the right thing to do. Also kind of complement that with a personal story, but then of course, um, avoiding risk is another obviously very, very good thing for a business to do. So it feels, you know, that, that resonates with me in terms of how i see other people react to this notion of accessibility. But I want to talk today, of course, also about, well, how do we go about implementing this as a practice in our businesses and then how do we do that in a growth mindset? And we're gonna cover that right after this break. We'll be right back.
1: Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment.
4: It passes before it's noticed. A slight rising of the eyebrows, a widening of the eyes. It may be accompanied by an almost imperceptible inhalation. The heart adds a beat like a quiet exclamation point on the experience. Within a tenth of a second, the reaction has passed, but not without leaving its mark. Someone found what they're looking for. Does your website deliver impulses to act? It can. Intended Consequences is the podcast for digital marketers who see their job as changing hearts and minds. If you're frustrated, bored, or in a rut, it's time to spread your wings with me, Brian Massey, and my guests. Find out how successful, curious, creative, and data-driven marketers are making a difference on purpose. Visit intendedpodcast.com or find us where you get your podcasts. Intended Consequences. Marketing on Purpose.
5: and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Miami may be the sun and fun capital of the world, but it's also home to the largest literary festival in the U.S. Don't miss the Miami Book Fair, a week-long festival featuring more than 600 authors from all over the world with readings, signings, and panels capped off by a three-day street fair. Find books in English, Spanish, and Creole for every interest and every age, from biographies and novels to poetry and comics. This year, come meet poets Richard Blanco, Reginald Dwayne Betts, and Joy Harjo, award-winning novelists T.C. Boyle, Susan Choi, Edwidge Danticat, Taya Obrecht, Julie Oranger, Leonard Pitts, and Karen Russell, plus authors exploring issues of the day such as Eve Ensler, Alex Coplewitz, Danny Shapiro, Daryl Pickney, Ambassador Samantha Power, George Wilt, and hundreds more. Take the little ones to Children's Alley for hands on activities, characters, and storytelling. Enjoy music, food, and fun for the whole family right on the downtown Miami Dade College campus, November 17th to the 24th. For details, schedules, and tickets, visit MiamiBookFair.com.
1: Let's press forward with more Press This, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. We're in the middle of our episode around accessibility and some of the benefits it can provide as a growth strategy. We're interviewing Jeff White for that. Jeff, right before the break, you were talking about why accessibility was important to you. That was fantastic, talking about the altruistic reasons, kind of the personal reasons and the business reasons. But what are the challenges when you uh, work with some of these brands and, and getting them to adopt making their websites accessible? Do they push back? Are they all for it? Like, What are some of the challenges you face in that?
3: I think in a lot of cases, it's not even so much that it's a challenge, it's more a question of ignorance, you know, and I don't mean that, you know, negatively, I just mean that they really don't know, you know, they, they're not aware that they're that when they put a website out there, if they're not taking accessibility into account when they're building it, and maintaining it, and growing it, that they are in fact impacting a huge portion of people who will not be able to access it. I mean, they they would not build physical locations, as I was saying earlier, without access for a wheelchair, but they don't necessarily think that the same rules apply to their website. And the, the part of the problem here is that the law, especially in the U.S., the ADA law is not was written up. I can't remember if it was 20 or 30 years ago and it at that time certainly did not apply to the web but the definitions in it around giving access to everyone are very broad and they do cover things like interactive media the web apps all of that and the fact of the matter is most brands just don't know to ask the questions and many web agencies don't know the laws that govern the sites that they're building so There's also a huge challenge when it comes to beyond just kind of building a site and putting it out there like we as as web builders, we can create sites that are extremely accessible. But if we don't explain the importance of that to our clients, when we hand those sites over to them to maintain and grow, they don't necessarily know exactly what it is they need to do to make sure they maintain that accessibility going forward. So even if we've taken great care when we're launching a new site, it doesn't mean it'll be kept fully up to date and accessible. We recently spoke at a conference for uh, manufacturing distributors, so companies that kind of take the goods that manufacturers made and distribute them out to retailers and things like that. And ahead of the event, we were given the company names and URLs of all of the attendees who were coming to the conference. It was a small conference, just a couple of hundred people. And so as an experiment, we did a quick analysis of... All of those different sites using the website content accessibility guidelines or the WCAG guidelines and a quick audit of contrast and keyboard navigation, alt tags and all of that, and 99% of the sites failed. The only sites that were actually still okay from an accessibility perspective were so simple and so old that they were actually built more with an accessibility mindset. You know, they just didn't know, they hadn't added all kinds of JavaScript that were taking away the ability for screen readers to work and things like that. But for the most part, the sites were just that bad that uh, 99% of them failed that audit.
2: That reminds me of that uh, parody site. This is an MFing website where it's just an (laughs) HTML plain text website, but it's perfectly coded because it hasn't gone on around all these paths throughout the web of all these digital functionality multimedia and so and so forth. It's really interesting to think of the simplicity of sites as kind of being a weapon, an arrow in the quiver of accessibility. Um, I hadn't really thought about that before. So you mentioned earlier that like maintenance actually becomes one of the the bigger problems with teams or brands that, that go implement a site that's perhaps originally coded well. Um, So what are are the, how how do you go about getting these internal teams or external teams to integrate accessibility into their workflows? How do you keep them from maintaining the site in a way that uh, degrades the accessibility of the site over time?
3: I think that where that really comes in is, you know, in the initial planning of the site, you know, whenever we meet with a new client, that part of the part of the education process that we bring to them is not just about you know, the, uh, the buyer's journey through the site and all the things that we want the site to be able to do from a sales and lead capture perspective, but we're also talking to them about accessibility from the very beginning. So I, I think as web teams, we really need to ensure that this it it becomes part of our overall workflow and that becomes part of our job to not just build sites in this way to test sites and ensure that they're meeting this, but also to ensure that those sites are, um, that those sites are actually being maintained and that we're teaching clients the importance of that accessibility so that they can do their, uh, their work and, and keep it up to date. And, I think, you know, some of that is putting a bit of that, that fear into them that, you know, there are these lawsuits that are out there that if they're not making the effort to maintain accessibility, that there is a chance that they could be targeted. And then it's just going to become a bit of a PR nightmare and a bit of a a mess that that they need to clean up. And but I think for, for us, kind of the way that we've gone about this is that we really needed to have an internal advocate. I've always been an advocate for accessibility and semantic web standards and, and all of those different things. But I'm out of the day-to-day workflow of building sites within Kula now. So we have a, a QA uh, team member who evaluates every mock-up. That comes through the shop. So, when design is presenting something before it goes to the client, we're looking at it from an accessibility standpoint. Does it have appropriate levels of contrast? Are there enough uh, guardrails in terms of uh, space? Is the type large enough that it meets the guidelines? All of those different things. And then, before any code is ever written, that mock up is approved from an accessibility standpoint internally before we even present it to the client. That way, they get a sense of it. And we talk about the accessibility features of that design with them when we're presenting it. And then when we go to sit down and and code that, our front-end developers need to understand, you know, what is it that they have to do? How do they ensure that, you know, there's keyboard navigation, um, that uh, all of the different elements are marked up correctly so that they present properly and uh, and can be read by screen readers and other assistive devices and then the content team needs to think about that as well when they're populating the site you know that they're putting everything in there they're providing Um, Alt tags for images. Obviously, that's, you know, that alt tags are an old construct of the web, but they're still incredibly important. Um, And then when we're QAing the site, we're testing it against screen readers, we're testing it against other assistive technologies and ensuring that it actually does work in the ways that we would anticipate and hope that it can work. I would love to be able to have the budget in every case to be able to, you know, do UX and usability tests with blind and deaf users to ensure that the sites are accessible. Um, that's still a bit of a dream. We haven't been able to do that too, too much. But uh, I think that there's a there's potential to really kind of take it to the next level when you uh, when you are developing these sites. And then I think you know just from a an agency perspective if you have this level of expertise there's a real opportunity here especially if you like us have a bank of sites that you may have built over the years that that may not be accessible you know you can go back to those clients and present to them the ability to audit that site update it, maintain it, and kind of bring it in line and make it accessible. So there's a real business opportunity for a lot of agencies out there right now.
2: I like that. So I heard you earlier talking about the kind of team motion, and you were commenting about how, look, all throughout, right, designers, content creators, developers, they all have to learn this kind of set of skills, how to audit, how to pay attention. But you also pointed out that having kind of a single advocate is a nice way to have that internal voice to make sure that this segment of your audience is uh, receiving the kind of experience that they should receive relative to the rest of your audience, which I think is fantastic. Now. I'm actually kind of curious because I think a lot of people, when they think about accessibility, you know, they focus on the FUD part, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Like, I'm going to get sued if I don't do this. I better check this box or if I'm going to have bad PR. But you started this podcast talking about the segment of people that might need assisted software or devices for consuming a website It's a pretty good chunk of people. Um, what is your view on optimizing for accessibility through a growth mindset, conversion rate optimization, um, UX more than just making sure it's accessible? Like, do, do, do brands take it that step further and actually optimize for the audience that might be using assisted devices or software?
3: I don't think so. I, I don't think that brands are necessarily doing that yet, but I think they should. And my concern with a lot of CRO um, activity and kind of UX work is that down the line we might end up undoing some of the good work we've done in the name of conversion or in the name of uh, growth on the site, rather than continuing to ensure that this is all playing part of of the overall site design and the overall site perspective. I mean, one of the one of the things that's you know, incredibly interesting about building a site that is properly accessible is that you're also making a site that is exceptionally well positioned from an organic search perspective. Um, a site that is properly coded from an accessibility standpoint is also very often done correctly, is semantically coded in a way that makes them really exceptionally readable to search engines. So, you know, a site that has good on-page SEO and is structured in a way that is going to be able to be read by a screen reader, for example, you know, it, it will be a very good quality site within Google size because everything is going to be, you know, very cleanly coded, a minimal JavaScript in there that is used primarily to enhance, but not detract from accessible devices. And then, you know, it goes beyond kind of just the, the text nature as well, because, you know, in today's day and age, you know, we're we're on, we're recording a podcast right now. Well, you know, that audio file needs to be transcribed to ensure that people who can't hear it are able to read the content. And same thing with video, you know, closed captioning and transcription of, of video and descriptive technology can help to make other types of rich media available to all kinds of different people. So Um, there's
2: all these, it sounds like there's all these, obviously all these kind of touch points and different ways of engaging with people uh, who might be limited in the way they uh, interact with your website. You kind of mentioned the inherent benefits of, you know, optimizing for accessibility, kind of the inherent benefits for SEO, which I think is a fantastic point. Um, And I want to talk about more of these inherent benefits with accessibility and growth, and also some uh, less obvious ones, right after this break, which we'll be right back.
1: Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment.
4: Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be topseos.com knows how hard that climb can be and they can make top ranking a reality.
1: WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on webmasterradio.fm. Well, everyone, welcome
2: back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. We're in the middle of our episode. Accessibility isn't just a compliance strategy, it's a growth strategy. And Jeff White of Kula Partners is sharing some really interesting insights into how he and Kula Partners approaches this. Um, Jeff, right before the break, you were kind of talking a little bit about the inherent SEO benefits of uh, accessibility, uh, specifically around optimizing for screen readers, which I think is interesting because, of course, Google's uh, bot is, in a sense, a screen reader um, digesting the content of your website and then trying to infer the meaning of it. Um, so that makes sense that if I was doing that for a human, I would kind of also have the ancillary benefit of doing that for the search bots. Um, prior to that, though, I'd asked you about brands that might be um, optimizing CRO. and We talked you talked a little bit about how this journey of CRO can actually pull people away from having accessible landing pages and websites. Um, you thought that people should uh, maybe spend more time worrying about, well, how are people accessing my website? Uh, Through assisted means, and and what can I do to help them convert better, have a better experience? Are people monitoring like their pages per visit, uh, how long they linger on a page, all the kind of things we would normally do for sighted visitors? Are they also do you see opportunity there for brand to do that for visitors accessing through accessible means um, to to make their experience not just better to be cool, but actually be better so that way they as customers generate more value for your business.
3: I think there's absolutely a lot of opportunity to make sites better for those users. And I think the, the trouble is, is that even if we're talking about 16% of, or 13% rather, of uh, Americans who um, are living with a disability, not all of them are going to be blind. I mean, that also applies to physical disabilities and other types of disability as well. So those may play differently into... Um, a web accessibility model than uh, than people who just can't see or or people who have trouble hearing. Um, I think one of the things that's really interesting, we had an experience working with uh, an immigration department though a while back Um, where we were working with users who were coming from other countries who may have had disabilities and we were able to actually do usability tests and see how people use sites with assistive devices and how they also use them from a a non, um, you know, it's not a disability if you can't necessarily speak English or French because we're based in Canada. But, you know, to see how people interacted with content that they didn't necessarily understand or wasn't written in their native tongue. So I I think that there are ways that we can work with accessibility advocates in the blind and deaf communities um, to bring them in in the process of actually developing sites and see how they think about it because try as we might as uh, as normal sighted users or uh, normal hearing users we're not necessarily going to fully understand the implications of what that means when someone is browsing a site. I mean, you know, you you need only look at uh, if you're trying to help your parents browse the web. You know, exactly kind of the things that they stumble on are not necessarily the things that we stumble on as as younger users. And it's the same case with uh, people who have uh, a visual disability or something like that. You know, we really need to kind of get in a room with these people and give them an opportunity to use the sites. Ask them how they would actually use these things, how they would try and accomplish their goals. And we've had one or two clients who have some uh, disabled members of their teams, and we've been able to leverage their knowledge in order to actually gain a better understanding of how that person would go about using the web to do their job, to do the research that they would need to do to make a purchase decision. And we can inject that into our customer journey flows. We can inject that into our um design and discovery sessions and then use that knowledge to try and build better sites but uh, to be honest david i don't think it's happening very often now and i'd be lying if i said we were doing it all the time either even as someone who is uh very much an accessibility advocate i think that there's still a lot of room to grow there
2: yeah i think that's obviously kind of a bleeding edge notion you know i think so many people are focused just on the compliance angle they haven't really embraced that next step and and really, truly servicing those audiences and working to improve their experiences. I love how you pointed out having people with particular disabilities be the ones who audit. Um, The guest, our last week's guest on Press This was a person named Amber Hines, and not on the podcast, but separate from that, she'd shared with me how she employs people from the Texas School for the Blind to help her with accessibility Audits relative to screen readers. Um, But it's uh, really, I think, a very salient point to say hey, look, you um, aren't going to be able to understand what it truly means um, unless you're getting insights or even direct help from someone who experiences your website in that way. So uh, another quick question. um, What are some other ancillary benefits of optimizing for accessibility? In particular, like you mentioned earlier, like alt tags have always been a really good idea. Um, What particular about alt tags might be helpful maybe outside of SEO?
3: well, i think I think it's really interesting, and I don't know that a lot of people know this, but most social networks actually have accessibility features built in. So when you post a photo to Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, or even LinkedIn, believe it or not, you are given the opportunity on those sites to add a caption to it that will go into an alt tag that enables um, a person with uh, without site to be able to consume that content. And given that most of us use social as one of the methods for promoting the content we use to set to help sell and drive um, other buyers and, and people like that back to our sites, you know, it's a real opportunity to actually leverage what those social networks have done um, in providing these features to make that content accessible to everyone when, even when they're not on our sites. And the same thing goes, I mean, I mentioned before, closed captioning and transcription. Obviously, these are, these are huge features that uh, enable people who can't necessarily see or hear the content to be able to consume it and i I think the thing to remember as you're creating alt tags is that you know so often back in the day and i was as guilty of this as anybody you know the alt tag went in there just so that you could meet the uh, guidelines when you ran it through the accessibility checker (laughs) you know it wasn't necessarily that you were trying to help but you know if you truly sit back and think about what it is that 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 um that that technology is for and what an alt tag is truly about it's about actually providing as good an experience for someone who is unable to consume the visual content or the audio content in a way that is as descriptive as possible and if you've ever um mistakenly turned on the uh the audio transcription um, on Netflix or something like that, where it actually describes the video, you can actually get a really good sense of, of what kinds of things are being done in order to paint the picture in the mind of someone who can't necessarily see the image of what it is that's going on on the screen. And that's I love that. That's an incredible
2: way of thinking about alt text. Well, Jeff, this has been super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing this and for joining us today.
3: Well, thank you very much for having me, David. I appreciate it.
2: Awesome. If you'd like to learn more about what Jeff is up to, you can visit KulaPartners, K-U-L-A Partners.com. Thanks everyone for listening to Press This, the WordPress Community Podcast on Webmaster Radio. I'm your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This.